to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? If you say that you are mine, I'll be here till the end of time. So you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? It's always tease, tease, tease. You're happy when I'm on my knees. One day is fine, the next is black. So if you want me off your back, well come on and let me know. Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble. And if I stay, it will be double. So come on and let me know. This indecision's bugging me. If you don't want me, set me free. Exactly whom I'm supposed to be. Don't you know which clothes even fit me? Come on and let me know. Should I cool it or should I blow? Hello everyone, my name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 10th of July. For today's podcast we're back in the Old Testament and a passage in which God offers a choice to his people who were on the threshold of entering the promised land. Our first song, By the Clash, was all about making decisions and our music today is about following God's lead and making choices. Some notices. Tea plus chat plus prayer will be at the home of Mike and Julia Plant on Tuesday the 12th of July at 2.30. All are welcome. Please contact me if you would like to come and need transport. The church magazine is now available from the foyer or the cafe and also online. And now our call to worship. Some verses from Psalm 25. O Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. 
No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O Lord. The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his demands.
Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you heard how the Lord delights in us? Come, delight in the Lord as he delights in you. As citizens of your kingdom of light, we come with thankful, joyful hearts to share in worshipping you, our loving, faithful God. With hearts full of hope, minds open to receive and ears tuned to hear, we draw near, Lord God, to learn and to share your all-powerful, guiding truth. We come too with humble hearts to say sorry. Sorry for hurtful words we wish we could take back. Sorry for impatience shown and tempers lost. Sorry for the times we've crossed the street to avoid someone. Sorry for the times we've listened and shared in gossip. Sorry for a lack of respect shown to others in words and actions. Sorry for times when we have neglected you, Lord, choosing to follow our own paths. Merciful Lord, we confess our faults and we ask that you forgive us. Lead us in your truth that our feet may keep to your paths. Amen. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, and the first 20 verses. In the future, when you experience all these blessings and curses I have listed for you, and when you are living among the nations to which the Lord your God has exiled you, take to heart all these instructions. If at that time you and your children return to the Lord your God, and if you obey with all your heart and all your soul all the commands I have given you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. He will have mercy on you and gather you back from all the nations where he has scattered you. Even though you are banished to the ends of the earth, the Lord your God will gather you from there and bring you back again. The Lord your God will return you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will possess that land again. Then he will make you even more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul and so you may live. The Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate and persecute you. Then you will again obey the Lord and keep all his commands that I am giving you today. The Lord your God will then make you successful in everything you do. He will give you many children and numerous livestock and he will cause your fields to produce abundant harvests. For the Lord will again delight in being good to you as he was to your ancestors. The Lord your God will delight in you if you obey his voice and keep the commands and decrees written in this book of instruction, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. The command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you, and it is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven, so distant that you must ask who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey. It's not kept beyond the sea, so far away that you must ask who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey. No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. Now, listen. Today I'm giving you a choice between life and death between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commands, decrees and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, 
and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. And now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you might choose life, so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose washing machines, cars, compact displays and electrical tin openers. Choose good health, low cholesterol and dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose your future. Choose life. So begins Danny Boyle's screen adaptation of Irving Welsh's novel Trainspotting. Somewhat shorter than the original version as I took out all the adjectives beginning with the letter F. That passage is what is known as a false dichotomy and we will come back to that idea later. Today we're looking at a passage from the book of Deuteronomy that features the same instruction, choose life. But when the minister announces that the sermon is based on some verses from the book of Deuteronomy, it would be understandable if the congregation didn't collectively shuffle to the edge of their seats in eager anticipation of tales of daring do, great hymns of praise or words of pithy wisdom. There's nothing here about mighty men of God slaying lions or vanquishing pagan prophets. Nothing here about bringing praise on all the instruments that a band can offer. Nothing here offering a young man advice that it's better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a nagging wife. Nothing of any of that here, but joy, oh joy. What we have in the bulk of this book is a repetition of the laws that we find in Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers. But Deuteronomy is not simply a repetition of laws that we've already been given. It is also the transition point between two parts of scripture and between two periods in Israel's history. The word Deuteronomy is made from two Greek words which mean second and law. It's also known as the fifth book of Moses and it is the last book in the part of the Old Testament that is sometimes called the Pentateuch. This is not simply a set of rules. It is the foundation stone of Israel's relationship with God. Deuteronomy, coming as it does at the end of these five books which form the Torah, could be said to be the pinnacle of this part of Scripture. Yet Deuteronomy also comes at the beginning of a series of books that tell the story of Israel's journey with the God who chose them to be his people. After Deuteronomy comes Joshua, the story of the conquest of Canaan, then judges how Israel began to be a nation, before we move into the books of Samuel and Kings, which take us through the ups and downs that would eventually lead Israel to be taken from the land and exiled in Babylon. 
Deuteronomy's position at the end of the period during which the law was given and at the beginning of the time of inhabiting the land that was promised to Abraham is significant. The Hebrew people had ended up in Egypt, first as guests of the Egyptian authorities, but within a few generations they had become slave workers. Moses was called by God to lead God's people back to Canaan, the land that had been promised to Abraham. The Hebrew people didn't have far to go, as the crow flies from the Red Sea to Canaan, it's only 200 miles, and so the several hundred mile detour that took 40 years was one of the worst cases of satnav failure to date. Part of the problem was that God led Moses and his people to take the long way around the Sinai Peninsula. If you imagine that Sinai is a triangle, instead of taking the short route across Sinai, that's along one of the sides of the triangle, they were taken the long way around the other two sides. It was at the bottom point of that triangle, on Mount Sinai, that Moses received the law. It was at this point that God, through Moses, made his covenant with his people. He would be their God, and they would be his people. There was still considerable wandering to be done before they made their way north toward Canaan. The Canaanites, as we might imagine, were not overly impressed with the idea that someone else had been promised the land on which they had been happily living for many years. Rather than meet the Canaanites head-on, Moses led his people along the east bank of the River Jordan, and there they camped on the opposite side of the river from Jericho. God led Moses up Mount Nebo from where he could see across the Jordan to the lands that would be Israel's. But for Moses it was thus far, but no farther. Moses died at Mount Nebo and would never enter the land that God had promised Abraham. He had spent all his life either in Egypt or in the wilderness, but had never set foot in this land that would flow with milk and honey. Moses was the milkman, but he never got to drink the milk. The book of Deuteronomy is a gathering of thoughts before what lay ahead. It was a remembrance of the past, that God had called this ragtag and bobtail outfit his people, and what God had done for them. It was also about what their responsibilities were to him. One of the most important passages in the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, comes in the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That passage is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. And if we go to the beginning of that chapter, we find these words, These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. You see, this was the purpose of the book. People had been on a long journey, but now they were finally going where God had called them to go. They were going to face a battle as they were going amongst a hostile people. 
They were going into a land flowing with milk and honey, but another people had been milking the cow and dipping their paws into the honey jar. They would need to be resolute. They would need to be mindful of God's law and the covenant that had been made with him. They would need to be mindful of who they were and who God is. They were one people living in one land under one God. To this end, the book of Deuteronomy has dire warnings about the dangers of mixing with the people who occupy the land, much as contemporary Jews worry about the effect of young people marrying out. The fear was then, as it is now, of diluting the faith. Speakers who are trying to get people on their side will sometimes present their hearers with what appear to be two mutually exclusive alternatives, choose life or choose death. The problem with this technique is that it almost always sets up a false dichotomy, a choice between two courses of actions when there might be other alternatives. However, it suits the speaker's purposes to offer just two with the hope that one will be such an outlandish choice that the speaker's preferred option will be chosen. The language with which Moses offers these choices to his people is very like that of the contracts that were drawn up between nations at certain times during the Old Testament period. Weaker nations were forced to pay taxes, rather like protection money, to the stronger nations, and these were governed by covenant contracts which warned of the outcome if the smaller, weaker nation made the wrong choice. Moses is using the same language to shake his people into making the right choice, as the alternative is unthinkable. Actually, the alternative is not unthinkable, in that it is more than likely that the book of Deuteronomy was edited around the time that many of Moses' descendants were taken into exile in Babylon, around the year 600 BC. The consequences of disobeying God's law was not only thinkable, it was on the point of happening. Depending on when Deuteronomy was finally completed, Moses' words about the importance of this choice can be understood as either a final dire warning about what lay ahead or a harsh reminder to the people of where their earlier poor choices had got them. Moses' words were intended to produce a reaction. This is what oratory is intended to do. When a politician or a preacher asks, who's with me? He or she wants those who hear to shout out enthusiastically, we are. Here's an example of such a speech. It's 1415 on the eve of the Battle of Agincourt and the English army is ready to face off against the French. The English forces are outnumbered five to one and so they need a bit of encouragement for the fight ahead. So King Henry quite literally takes the stage to encourage them. Now, oh, my fair cousin, if we are marked to die, we are enough to do our country loss. And if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of honour. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. Rather, proclaim it, Westmoreland, through my host, that he which hath no stomach to this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made, and crowns for convoy put into his purse. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. This day is called the Feast of Crispian. He 
that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand at tiptoe when this day is named and arouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall see this day and live old age will yearly, on the vigil, feast his neighbors and say, tomorrow is Saint Crispin's. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say these wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget. Yet all shall be forgot, but he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names, familiar in their mouths as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son, and Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England, now abed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap, whilst any speaks that thought with us upon St. Crispin's Day! I don't know about you, but I definitely feel stirred when I hear these words from Shakespeare's Henry V. It would be a surprise after such a speech if the response was, That's very helpful, but let's look at all the possibilities before we make our decision. I don't think that anyone would be surprised if I were to say that this is Jesus' way to present two alternatives, only one of which is the way to life. After all, didn't Jesus call people to follow him in an unequivocal fashion? Drop everything, nothing else matters. Didn't Jesus say, whoever's not with me is against me? Well, there is a deep irony in considering the life or death choices that Jesus is offering. This is because Jesus is offering death. If anyone will come after me, they will be giving up their life. Jesus doesn't offer a way that's victorious, like Henry V, but a way that leads to the failure of the cross, an obscenity to Jews and idiocy to the philosophers of Greece and indeed to our own age. Secondly, that unconditional demand that whoever is not with Jesus is against him is not as straightforward as we might imagine because it's directed only at those who are disciples. To those outside, Jesus says something different. Anyone who is not against me is for me. The commandments of the Sermon on the Mount, if we choose to call them that, are pretty difficult to fulfill. The earliest Christians, those living within 50 years of Jesus, recognize this difficulty. In one of the first books of Christian teachings, this difficulty was seen. The Didache, which means teachings, was written somewhere between the middle and the end of the first century AD, and for several centuries it was considered an authoritative document for training disciples. It's divided into three parts. The first has the title, The Two Ways, The Way of Life and The Way of Death. It begins by saying there are two ways, one of life and one of death, and there is a great difference between these two ways. This has a fairly familiar ring to it. 
Make up your minds and choose which way you're going to jump. However, this section finishes in a somewhat different fashion. If you are able to bear the entire yoke of the Lord, you will be perfect. But if you are not able to do this, do what you are able. You see, our salvation does not depend on our being perfect. We are dependent on the grace of God. Our response to that grace is to follow Jesus. Our salvation, our life, does not depend on whether we pass or fail this test because we are ultimately doomed to fail. Two Hebrew words in this part of Deuteronomy seem to present contrasts, but they are also about the particular point at which the Hebrew people found themselves. These words translate something like standing still and moving on. The people were standing still. They were waiting across the Jordan from Jericho, the town that was their destination. Moses was giving final instructions. However, this was not just about final instructions. It was also about reaffirming the covenant that God had made at Sinai. The people had moved on from Sinai and God had gone with them. God's law was not bound up in the inscriptions on tablets of stone. God himself was going with them. Therefore, his law and his will went with them too. The people were waiting, standing ready for what would lie ahead when they would be moving on. Yet this tells us something about God's law and his will. The law of God, as we find it in the Old Testament and indeed in the New Testament, is not static. It is forever moving on as God's people move on. The law of God and the will of God are as dynamic as God himself is dynamic. Our notion of an unchanging God can lead us into believing that God is static. But in this context, unchanging refers to God's faithfulness to his promises. God is clearly changeable in that he was changed by the death of his son and is changed by our prayers. The implication of this is that God's law is in some ways changeable. If this sounds blasphemous, have a think about what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. This might seem a dangerous route to take in that it could lead to a subjective interpretation of God's law as we find it in Scripture. However, we do believe that certain behaviours that were legitimate in the days of the Old Testament are clearly not appropriate today, slavery being one and polygamy another. However, God calls us to move forward. God's law is not static and neither should God's people remain in one place. It is risky, but we are called to risky living. We are called to travel on with God. The promise to the Hebrew people was that God will travel ahead of them in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and another pillar of fire by night. The promise to us comes in the form of the last words of Jesus that we find in the Gospel according to Matthew. Go out and make disciples of everyone you meet, far and near, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. 
Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I will be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. We may not see pillars of either cloud or fire to guide us, but we have the promise of the presence of Jesus. We have the promise of Pentecost when God poured out his spirit on his people. We have the promise of God's spirit within us, leading us, guiding us and prompting us. We have the promise that the words of Moses have at last been fulfilled as God leads us across the river. God's presence is not far away in heaven, nor is he beyond the sea, because God is very near you. His spirit is in your heart, so that you may know and live his will. Let us pray. Almighty God, in a world of so many choices, with so many options, so many routes to take and roads to follow, we give you thanks that in all the mix of life you are there. You are there with us and always will be. We give you thanks that you have inspired so many people to live their lives with love and support and generosity. We give you thanks that you have set hearts on fire with passion and commitment to serve you and our neighbours in the way you would have us do. We give thanks that we can read and share your word, know your truth, feel your peace and have the freedom to choose right from wrong. For all this and so much more, we give you thanks and praise. O Lord our God, we turn our minds, our thoughts, our prayers to those in need, our neighbours near and far. We know the right thing to do is to pray for those in need, 
Help us now as we pray to be willing to offer a hand of help and friendship wherever we can to those for whom we pray. For the traumatised through random shootings, unprovoked attacks, senseless, seemingly purposeless acts of maiming and murder, leaving scars, physical and emotional, that will last a lifetime. For the emergency services that react to such events and pick up the pieces of carnage mentally and physically. For our faraway neighbours in Australia seeing drastic effects of climate change with epic flooding in Sydney. For India and Pakistan, for Afghanistan, all countries seeing chaotic weather patterns. Homes, businesses, infrastructures and livelihoods washed away along with hopes and dreams of security. For our neighbours in Ethiopia, Sudan, Nicaragua and Sri Lanka, all facing economic and political crises, living lives and existences we cannot even begin to imagine. For young people coming to the end of summer term and all the changes and chances and challenges that will involve. New schools, new classes, new friends, new teachers and for some the stress of waiting for exam results that will determine their next steps. For all those leaving education and stepping out into the world with its uncertainty and their own uncertainty. For the increasing numbers of people worldwide facing uncertainties over finances and housing, with conflicts between eating and heating, may those with too much and more than they can ever need be willing to make sacrifices for those with far too little to meet even basic needs. For those for whom life today is a real struggle, for those who do not know for whatever reason what the right thing to do is. O Lord our God, accept our prayers, our yearnings and our hopes for others. Amen.
Our last song today is, like our first, about making decisions, yes or no. It could sound a bit frivolous, but there is something quite profound about the idea of God asking, do you love me? Do you want to be my friend? But first, a final prayer. Arise within me, holy mystery, holy friend. Keep danger near enough for the summoning of protection. Keep doubt strong enough for the deepening of trust. Keep despair near enough for the stirring of hope. Keep darkness strong enough for the glimmering of light. Keep hostility near enough for the sustaining of peace. Keep fear strong enough for the arousing of love. Keep greed near enough for the lavishing of generosity. Keep uncertainty strong enough for the bolstering of courage. Keep surprise near enough for the gifting of grace. Keep chaos strong enough for the flowering of creativity. Keep divinity near enough for the perfecting of humanity. Arise within me, holy mystery, holy friend. Take me to hallowed ground. Amen. It started way back in third grade I used to sit beside him in Lou Hayes A pink dress, a matching bow, and her ponytail She kissed me on the school bus But told me not to tell Next day I chased around the playground Across the monkey bars to the merry-go-round And Emmy Lou got caught passing me a note Before the teacher took it, I read what she wrote Do you love me? Do you want to be my friend? And if you do, well then don't be afraid to take me by the hand If you want to, I think this is how love goes Check yes or no Kids with stars in our eyes Ain't much changed, I still chase Simmy Lou Up and down the hall, around the bed in our room Last night I took her out in a white limousine Twenty years together she still gets to me Can't believe it's been that long ago When we got started with just a little Yeah.